heat continues to be turned up against Dr. Anthony Phony Fauci, and that is not just a humorous term for theatrical amusement. He is a phony son of a bitch. This is the man that kept telling everyone that this virus just uh, manifested itself naturally, that it migrated from an animal form to human form in a wet market from bats, and did everything he could to discourage any inquiry, any line of inquiry or investigation into any other possibility. Even though, as we learn more and more about this virus, it becomes apparent from the way it behaves and from the opinions of other experts that it did not occur naturally, but was engineered more than likely in the Wuhan laboratory, uh, which the Chinese have shrouded in secrecy. Hello, everyone. I'm Jamie Dury, and welcome to another episode of the National Preview Online podcast, the NPO podcast. If you've not already done so, please subscribe to the show. And you can do so in one of three easy ways. You can either go to the Google Play Store or the iTunes App Store, depending which device you use, and simply search for and subscribe to the NPO podcast. And the alternative, if you prefer a third-party podcast aggregator app, simply download the free Podbean app, our hosting service, and subscribe to the show that way. Regardless of the manner in which you choose to subscribe, you will be able to listen, you will be notified whenever a new episode is uploaded, and you will be able to make comments and leave reviews. And we desperately need both. The more reviews and comments we receive, the faster the show will grow, the more often it will be discovered in searches by people looking for new content, and that would help us to help you. As always, if you wish to contact me, Jamie Dury, the host, you can email me at nationalpreviewonline at gmail.com. Not only to uh, ask questions or suggest topics that I cover for a future episode, but if you wish to engage us for a speaking engagement. So, the latest person to lay into Dr. Phony Fauci was Governor DeSantis from Florida. Uh, He didn't spare him anything. He was recently interviewed regarding this, um, was interviewed by Mary Margaret Olihan on Monday in Miami. Uh, this interview was conducted because the governor just recently signed two bills on Monday uh, that were directed towards uh, limiting the influence of the Communist Chinese Party in the United States. And what he, a few pull quotes from the interview. To me, the most troubling thing was the way they were trying to scurry to tamp down any inquiry into the origins of COVID. They did not want this lab leak hypothesis to be tested or investigated. And he's saying this with response with respect to Dr. Fauci's emails that we've now seen. And you have to understand why, especially now a year later, when we know there really is no other really strong explanation for how this thing could have started. I think that's because there was U.S. money that had gone to fund this type of research. I think that some of these grants end up in these charities that can end up in Wuhan. And I think all that needs to be investigated. And that's true. That's exactly what happened. And now we know that this gain-of-function research was specifically prohibited by the Obama administration. Everyone's favorite, right? Barack Obama. But, you know, even a broken clock is right twice a day. And either Obama himself or his confederates in the administration who acted on his behalf in this regard were correct in this, in this aspect. They realized this was very dangerous research and they didn't want it done in the continental United States for fear 
of something leaking from a lab, and this can happen. Uh, we have enough research labs uh, in this country as it is, uh, that some we probably don't even know about, and so we should, um, we should not be looking to have any more or, or increasing the, the uh, dangerous type of research that we do. You know, I used to be a sailor years ago, and here in the Northeast, it's a great um, area for recreational boating. Long Island Sound is probably one of the biggest destinations um, every year. Over a million pleasure boats come in and out of the Sound every uh, summer season. You have Block Island, which is a big cruising destination, Nantucket, Martha's Vineyard, not too far out of the Sound. Um, and you have a small little island near the end of um, the Sound, a little channel there between the mainland uh, and this island called Plum Island, and the channel is called Plum Gut. Plum Island is a very interesting place because there is a biological research lab that the government runs on Plum Island. Why do they keep it there? Because it's isolated. People who come on and off the island are very closely regulated, and that's how you try and keep these things under control. Notwithstanding the fact that we have places like this, the Obama administration banned research into gain-of-function. And now we discover through the Fauci emails that U.S. grants went to the Chinese communists to conduct research in the Wuhan Virology Lab, and that's where this gain-of-function research was, was conducted, and that's where COVID leaked from. And we know this because for a man who says it couldn't have happened, he did an awful lot of scurrying around under the cover of darkness and in the wee small hours, just as Governor DeSantis noted, to send out emails to all of his friends in academia to come up with all these articles debunking the virology lab theory and keep pushing the natural occurring theory, all to protect his sorry ass. This man needs to be strung up from the yard arm. In fact, given the amount of death and destruction he's caused, both personal and financial, corporate and individual, uh, execution might not be enough, considering the millions of people that, that have died. Perhaps we should bring back those old practices of the Royal Navy. Keelhauling comes to mind, where they used to hoist you up and sit you on the boom of a mast, tie a rope around you, have the rope set over the side, underneath the bottom of the ship, brought up to the other side of the ship, have the men pull you off, and under the boat several times where you ran back and forth across the barnacles underneath the hull and were cut to ribbons. If you survived that and didn't drown, the sharks would have you. That's probably an appropriate fate for Dr. Fauci. But we're in a different time. We're in a civilized nature, so people like that uh, don't get what they deserve. But I'd like them to get something. And this is, what I think, what's really is, is pissing people off. This... This seeming um, hands-off policy, this immunity, you can't touch me, this privileged uh, conduct and attitude of the elites seems to spread into every facet of our life. We've seen this in this election. By now, anybody who's really um, unbiased can tell that the Trump administration was investigated even before it became an administration. It was unlawfully investigated by the FBI. They falsified evidence to generate uh, an investigation. They lied. They falsified emails. Uh, 
They did everything they could, including entrapment, to try and bring down the Trump campaign before it even became an administration. And through four years of investigation and a special prosecutor, they did nothing despite uncovering more than ample evidence and finding no evidence after 30-some-odd million dollars and a special prosecutor were appointed of any collusion between Trump and the Russians. Meanwhile, we know that uh, there was plenty of collusion between Red China, Hunter Biden, and the Biden administration uh, before it was an administration from Vice President Biden himself. So nobody seems to be held accountable. If you're a Republican, they want to lay waste to you. If you're a Democrat, you just get a pass, and everybody's laughing at it. They're just laughing at it. Well, hopefully they won't be laughing much longer because people are starting to revolt. People are starting to rebel. And we see this pushback occurring on all fronts. I reported last week about how people from other states, from Pennsylvania, uh, went to the Veterans Memorial Coliseum in Arizona to view the audit that the Arizona legislature authorized into the election because they were thinking about doing it in Pennsylvania. And now representatives from Georgia and Alaska have also gone. Colorado, Virginia, a lot of people are looking into these elections and saying something doesn't make sense. And it's not a conspiracy theory to say that the election was stolen. There is more than ample evidence, mathematical evidence, to prove this. Again, I'll go over it real quick. Most of the time, when an incumbent president loses re-election, it's a foregone conclusion that he receives fewer votes in his re-election bid than he did in his election bid. In fact, it's not uncommon for a man to win re-election and receive fewer votes. That happened to Barack Obama. He received three million fewer votes in his re-election than he did when he was elected. You really can't find evidence of presidents who lost in their re-election bid and received more votes than they received in their election bid until 2020. And Donald Trump didn't just receive a few more votes in his re-election bid. Donald Trump received 12 million more votes in his re-election bid. 12 million. That's a lot when we're talking about 60-some-odd million to begin with. That's a huge percentage. That's like a 20% increase. And Biden, the guy who could never get nominated for anything, the guy who never left his basement, we're supposed to believe that he garnered 80-some-odd million votes. Can't be. If people were that dissatisfied with Donald Trump, how did he get all those extra votes? And where did the Biden votes come from? Well, all you have to do is look at traditional voting patterns. Regardless of who's running, voter apathy seems to be a problem in the United States and it's been a problem for some time. And there's many reasons for this. We can go into it. People say they use it for jury duty. But the bottom line is getting 60% of the electorate to come out and vote in a presidential election is about what you get. High 60s would be considered great. Anything over 70 would be considered almost unheard of. In some of these places where these vote dumps occurred, and they were almost all for Biden, we have voter turnout uh, in the areas of 80s and high 80 percentile, sometimes over 90 percent. That never happens. So it's clear where these Biden votes came from. They passed or cast, I should say, 
ballots on behalf of people who had no intention of voting and never did vote, many of whom were dead. Joe Frazier actually voted in the presidential election in Pennsylvania, and I'd love to know who he voted for because uh, he was a registered Republican. So I'd like to see who they filled out his ballot for. So this is what's going on here, and that's why there's tremendous interest being put into this election audit in Arizona, and I suspect you're going to see it in Pennsylvania and some of the other states where this uh, chicanery went on. Likewise, the thirst for blood continued even after the election. Donald Trump gave a speech on January 6th. He didn't call for any violence. That speech is public. It's public knowledge. People marched down there, and now we know through investigation that prior to any Trump supporters arriving at the Capitol, there were members of Antifa and other left-wing organizations who breached the Capitol, broke in, in the hopes of inciting people who were already pissed off at having their election stolen, and those people went into the Capitol. Now, should you go into the Capitol? No. But do I really think that sitting in Nancy Pelosi's chair is a capital crime? Do I really think breaking a window inside the Capitol is a capital crime? I'm very familiar with the laws of justification, particularly here in New York State, and I'd like to know what crime uh, would have qualified Ashley Babbitt, the name nobody remembers, the woman who was murdered in the Capitol on January 6th by a still unnamed federal Capitol police officer. What crime did she commit that would have qualified for the use of deadly physical force under the laws of New York State? I like to think that New York State, although a liberal state by and large, has pretty good laws when it comes to the use of deadly physical force. They're not cavalier at all. As I've said before, they give you certain crimes at the prevent terminate stage and at the arrest stage. Now, clearly, we don't have to go for the arrest stage because Ashley Babbitt was obviously actively engaged in conduct that this officer who shot her felt uh, warranted shooting her. Well, at the prevent terminate stage in New York, you can only use deadly physical force if deadly physical force is being threatened against yourself or a third person. Ashley Babbitt's conduct certainly didn't qualify there. Robbery in the first degree. Ashley Babbitt's conduct certainly didn't qualify there. Burglary in the first degree. Ashley Babbitt's conduct certainly didn't qualify there. Arson in the first degree. I didn't see any arson going on in there. Rape in the first degree. I didn't see any rape, did you? Kidnapping. I didn't see any kidnapping or sodomy in the first degree. None of the above. And then immediately after we see her shot, she's flanked by a half a dozen police officers in riot gear. Where'd they come from? Well, obviously, they were only a few feet away from her when she got shot. So not only did this idiot fire with no justification at this woman, he fired into a sea of fellow police officers. And we don't even know his name. Forget that the federal government and Justice Department are saying that he doesn't need to be charged with anything. We don't even know his name. If a New York City police officer had done that, you'd know his name, you'd know where he lived, you'd know where his kids went to school, what he ate for lunch, what kind of car he drove, they would crucify this person in the court of public opinion. And this man needs to be crucified in the court of public opinion because what he did is manifestly wrong. And for the Justice Department to justify that conduct and say there was no criminality there on his part is proof that this is a conspiratorial and con 
progressively elitist government that reserves to itself rights and privileges that it denies the general population in this country. They seem to do whatever they want. They can prosecute and lay people to waste when they want to, but none of that heat ever comes back to them. They're never wrong unless, of course, it's a Republican that's doing it. If it's a Republican that's doing it, then you're wrong. If you're not a Republican, we never hear about it. Now, what I wanted to cover today was not something that's in the general news. I've been telling you that we're going to have a show on the corporate woke culture. Before we get into that, I want to give a little bit of a preamble today when I close the show, because I expect to do that show on the corporate culture uh, in greater detail probably next week, perhaps tomorrow, but I'm thinking next week. But before you can begin to understand that, there's something you have to understand about capitalism. There are two terms that are used interchangeably that people need to know. And those terms are shareholders and stakeholders. You have to know the difference. And Milton Friedman was a big, big proponent of shareholder capitalism. I think he was right. And these new age economists are doing everything they can to try and destroy his legacy and say he's wrong because it doesn't fit their narrative. What is a shareholder and what is a stakeholder? Well, it's kind of like cognac and brandy. Every cognac is a brandy, but not every brandy is a cognac. To be a cognac, that brandy has to come from certain types of grapes that are grown in the cognac region of France. Likewise, every shareholder is a stakeholder, but not every stakeholder is a shareholder. Shareholders are always stakeholders, but what is a shareholder? A shareholder owns part of a publicly traded company through stock. Many of you are shareholders, whether you realize it or not. When some of your retirement plans are invested in stocks. A stakeholder is someone, anyone, who has an interest in the performance of a company for reasons having to do with something other than the value of its stock on the publicly traded stock exchanges. Some of these reasons mean that a stakeholder has a great need for a company to succeed over a longer term. Now, you can make an argument about that because shareholders, uh, if the company is doing well, they want to continue to own the stock and continue to make money. But if a shareholder thinks that the future is not bright for a company, they have an easy exit. They can simply sell their stock, and now they no longer have any relationship with the company. So there's a little article here that I want to read some things for you that give a pretty good brief explanation, and then I'm going to go into more when we get into the corporate woke article. The role of a shareholder. A shareholder can be an individual, a company, or an institution that owns at least one share of a company and therefore has a financial interest in its profitability. Shareholder might be an individual investor who is hoping the stock price will increase. Maybe it's part of his retirement portfolio. Shareholders have the right to exercise a vote to affect the management of the company. Shareholders are owners of the company, but they are not liable for the company's debts. For private companies, sole proprietorships and partners, the owners are liable for the company's debts. A sole proprietorship is different. It's an unincorporated business. But in publicly traded companies, 
They're not responsible for the, for the debts of a company. A stakeholder, a stakeholder can be anyone who's a shareholder. A stakeholder are the employees of the company, because obviously employees of the company have, a, have an interest in whether the company survives or goes under. Bondholders, anybody who uh, buys corporate debt. You know how you buy treasury bills? You can also buy corporate, what they call commercial paper. You can buy debt. When companies want to borrow money, uh, they can borrow it from individuals, not just banks. So they can share, they can sell. AT&T sells corporate paper. Some of these big um, Fortune 500 companies or banks, they can sell commercial paper and you can buy it. So any company, any person or entity that owns co- corporate debt is a stakeholder in that, in that uh, company. Customers who rely on the company to pr- provide a particular good or service could be considered a stakeholder. That means if you're a person who buys cars, you might have be considered to be a stakeholder in General Motors because you rely on them to provide you with cars. Suppliers and vendors, people who supply those companies with the raw materials that they use to manufacture what they make, they're considered stakeholders because if the companies that they are supplying go under, then they lose a customer. Okay. So there's big differences between shareholders and stakeholders. Now, some stakeholders, I think, have a more legitimate interest and therefore are entitled to exert a greater influence than other stakeholders. If you're a shareholder, I think you have a right to exert influence because a shareholder is a stakeholder. If you're a stakeholder by way of being an employee of the company, I think you have a right to have a voice in what's happening in the company. And if you loaned a company money, you certainly have a right to have a voice. If you're a supplier, you have an interest, but I think you have less of a voice. And if you're simply a customer, you have a voice, but the littlest voice. And this is where this corporate wokeism and this PC culture at the corporate level is coming to pass. The leftists in this country are trying to disproportionately leverage the influence of certain categories of stakeholders, meaning the customers. We want to bring everyone. You don't donate money to Black Lives Matter. We're going to bring you to your knees. You're going to cater to us. You're going to acknowledge your white guilt or whatever it is, your privilege or white privilege. You're going to... uh, um, uh, acknowledge uh, the evils of the United States and the way it was founded, and it's everything is inherently racist. And if you don't do it, we're going to destroy you in the in the arena of public opinion. We're going to boycott you. Way too much influence, turning capitalism on its head. The bottom line is, a corporation that's publicly traded's number one obligation is to make money for its shareholders. Now, certainly, they have to follow laws. They have to follow certain rules that government and trade agencies set out for them, but they don't have to please every single Tom, Dick, and Harry uh, uh, who thinks that he has a right to compel this company to conduct itself in a certain fashion. You certainly don't have to do it. They don't have to acknowledge uh, transgender rights just because you say so. This is all about corporate social responsibility. So we're going to be getting into a lot of this when we get into this corporate PC woke culture to really explain what's going on here and what sort of limits 
there should be on just how much we should be able to dictate to companies because the amount of companies that are engaging in this is alarming and there's no necessity for this. If you don't like what a company's policy is, you're you're free not to buy. Why should you have the right to compel uh, General Motors or Ford or somebody else to conduct their company operations in a certain way because you are potentially a customer of Ford? You don't like the way Ford does what they do? Go buy a Honda. Go buy a Jeep. Go buy a Nissan. BMW, whatever. You don't have to patronize that company. That's an appropriate use of your influence as a stakeholder. Simply decline to patronize. I do that all the time. That's a perfectly legitimate exercise. Nobody can tell me where I have to spend and not spend my money. But the notion that you say, no, you're going to listen to me because I might spend money there someday is a little bit ridiculous. But we're going to be getting into all of that uh, definitely by next week in greater detail. And we invite you to weigh in on the debate. If there's things you want me to cover about that, please email them to me. I'm going to look over them over the weekend. I'm going to take all those questions into consideration and put it together in the next podcast. But that's all for now. So until next time, for National Preview Online, I'm Jamie Dury.